Yes, hello folks, welcome to the weekly Matches Needed Show. I'm your host as always, Phil Brown. Join with my regular co-host here, the handsome Colin McGregor. How you doing, mate? Oh, good, mate. How's things? Not too good, actually, after that result, but we'll get there, like. Yeah, we'll get there. I'm not sure how to feel about that result. Because <clears throat> um, it could have been worse, could have been better. Um, I think accentuated by the fact that Rashford missed a chance in the last minute that, quite frankly, was a disgrace. Um, shouldn't yeah. be missed at this level. <clears throat> and if that goes in... We're having a whole different discussion today about what a brilliant result, what a brilliant performance, or second half performance anyway, uh, against a very good team, Newcastle team that had the has the best defence in the league. Uh, of course, Everton had that the week before, and United really scored three away from home. Um, that's to talk about about the weekend, of course, the result, the once again focus on what is an absolutely disgraceful refereeing performance. Um, We've Ronaldo's reaction, Fred's miss, um, and we'll talk about some other topics related to the football club. Uh, your internet's a bit jumpy, mate, so if you cut out, uh, we'll just reconnect. Uh, but uh, first of all, mate, what is your reaction to the game of the weekend? I have to say I was wrong. I came on this podcast and said it should be an easy game. We should win three or four, and it was shocking performance all around. Well, see, to be honest, the performance wasn't that bad, if we're actually mm. looking at it. The performance was okay. We just couldn't finish a barn door. I mean, decisions... I think it's it's okay for us to be able to say Ten Hag has made some wrong decisions without wanting Ten Hag out. Course, and I think that's course. important that, that you're able to criticise the manager without thinking that he shouldn't be the manager because a lot of people then get their backs up and say, oh, why, why are you attacking the manager? But I do think he made some wrong decisions in that game. I mean, Fred what, what was horrendous. You, yeah. Fred, mm-hmm. Fred was horrendous, and I, I've stuck up for Fred, and I think he is actually there is a player there. But again, with Fred, he's too hot and cold. Is he the midfielder that is going to bring us to win a title? Probably not. He's, he's not good enough at that level. Is he a midfielder that would play decent week in, week out for Southampton or for um, the likes of Everton? Yes, probably. But like the, some of the decisions we made, like taking off Ronaldo when you need a goal, that to me didn't make sense. If Ronaldo mm. has that chance, and I know if your granny had ball should be your granddad, mm. but if Ronaldo had that chance that Riceford had, it was a goal. It's simple I think as that. So I think you and I, th- I think taking Ronaldo off, I can understand it's frustration when you're chasing the game. To me, that's just like losing that point. So mm. why not just go all out for it? Because see, if you get beat on the counter, you get beat on the counter. It's only a point loss. That was two points gained if you had changed it. Brought Ronaldo on for a hold of midfielder. Brought Ronaldo on for someone... Or, brought Riceford on for someone else, rather than taking off Ronaldo. To me, that was just the wrong decision. Here's a couple of things. First of all, um, Ronaldo had 70 minutes to score and didn't. So the argument that he would have taken that Riceford chance, Wesley probably would have, um, wasn't a reason for me to leave him on the pitch. Um, He put in another performance that once again showed that for top-class defenders, he's relatively easy to handle. Um... He'd still score goals if you give him space. If he catch you, catches you out on a mistake or a counter-attack, what have you. But when you're dominating the game, like you need a worse second half, um, and you saw this against Nicosia in the first half away, you need to have problems breaking teams down. I would also say that I understand going balls to the wall trying to win the game, but Newcastle posed a very serious threat on the counter-attack. And... If if Ten Hag had lost that game, he would have taken enormous criticism, especially if we took risks and lost the game. So I can understand it. Um, 
Rashford was in decent form, to be fair. Uh, I think what you saw with Fred, the contrast between him and Ericsson is, is, is absolutely unbelievable. And Luke Shaw done an interview today or yesterday with Guardian, and he said something that I had mentioned last week that I'd noticed that this is a team picked on merit. This is not a team picked on past reputation. This is not a team picked on personal vendettas or anything like that. This is a team picked on merit. That means Ronaldo has to uh, adhere to that too. He deserved to be taken off in that game. And let's be honest, Calm, if they're, if United have a top-class striker, um, Ronaldo doesn't start anyway. right? If Martial's fit, he's not in the picture. His attitude coming off was a disgrace, in my opinion. It's a petulant child. And here's the thing. Ronaldo's always been about winning for himself. And it just so happens that your interests align, so your team wins too, and that makes him happy. But if Ronaldo can't score, Ronaldo doesn't care whether you win or lose. If Ronaldo's not the centre of attention, Ronaldo doesn't care. And that's great when you're 26 and you're dominating world football. But when you're 37 and you're being carried somewhat, you really don't have the capital to behave like that because you're not doing enough on the pitch to, to for that juice to be worth the squeeze. So I don't I don't appreciate that attitude. You know, everyone no one likes being taken off in a game. Nobody. Uh, and, and, you know, I've seen Sancho throw the head down. Oh, that's, that's part of being... The disappointment's part of the game. But the camera panned him about five minutes later and he's still shaking his head on the bench. Paul, it's not a war crime to take you off in a match you haven't scored in 70 minutes where you were poor, by the way. Right? So, um, anyway, as for Fred, I've seen the best of Fred and I've seen the worst of Fred. I was watching the Liverpool-Man City game. And I was watching Foden, De Bruyne, Bernardo Silva, mate. And then it's you're trying to watch Fred. Now I've seen the best and the worst of him, and we're using terms like there's a player in there, he could do a job for you. Yeah, sure, but that's not what we should be judging footballers by at Manchester United. I mean, if we're going to sit here and talk about being the biggest football club in the world and we should demand to win trophies, we can't be working with players that can do a job for you. You know, they, they can't be starting games. You know, and I honestly feel that if United give Ten Hag the ability to make these changes, these players won't be here. I mean, Fred hasn't played that much this season. Whenever I mean, and he's probably the fifth choice midfielder. So I think Ten Hag's already made his mind up about him. And if he's allowed to replace players this summer with the same figure that he was allowed to do this summer, um... I would imagine Fred would be on that list of, of players to be replaced. I agree with what you're saying. First of all, I know that the comments are having to go up my mustache. You need to be over 18 to look at it, so I apologise for that, lads. Um, but in, ter- in terms of Fred, right? So, first of all, on Ronaldo, actually. So, what you said about Ronaldo there, how do we know that it's not Ronaldo that's disappointed in his own performance? And that's why he's he's reacting like he is, that he knows he's not at that level. Because we, we don't know what he's thinking. We're just automatically thinking it's it's against the manager. But is it Ronaldo that's really just... on? He knows in his head he's not at that level and he's trying his hardest mm. and he's not making it? Or is it mm. the Ronaldo we've seen five, six years ago throwing his hands up because he's getting taken off? I don't know. And even if it is that guy, I like that Ronaldo. Because no, it shows he's still cursed. I have no problems with players still current. Right? I have no problem with players not wanting to be taken off. But when you do that... And you show that level of petulance. It's so disrespectful to your teammates, to the player coming on, to your manager, everyone else. 
And I don't think Ronaldo, in his mind, believes he isn't the best striker in the world. I, I honestly think that he still believes that. You know, he I, I, the personality that he has that made him great hasn't disappeared. And I don't believe for one minute, especially when you look at his behaviour over the summer and his subsequent behaviour to get out, where he's turning around and saying, this is a me problem. Definitely not. I don't see that at all. I mean, maybe, I think, obviously, there's frustration on his part, but if you saw him against Nicosia, man, right? And here's the difference. You don't judge a player whether he's good enough at this level over one game. So when he scored against Everton, you know, people say, oh, you see what I mean? You wrote him off. I didn't make that determination just because I watched him against Nicosia. This is over a significant period of time, right? And I didn't say he was crippled. But he's still capable of playing football to highest level and scoring a goal. So that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about whether he is a world-class striker or not. Whether as a team that's serious about winning trophies, whether he belongs in that team. And I will say the same about Fred. A team that's serious about winning trophies doesn't have Fred in their midfield. Um, I, Let's so, be honest, though. That there's there's a couple of players who aren't at world-class no, level. Course, no, of course. No, no. That, that's, cool. that, that, that's fine. But, a couple, but those players are not behaving like Ronaldo. And those players are not on 700 grand a week. And those players are not demanding that... Everything inside the football club is customised to him. He, those players aren't openly questioning Ten Hag's methods like Ronaldo is. Right? I mean, the, 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 I'm trying to find the, the skills and, uh, of pros and cons and where do the pros outweigh the cons? Absolutely not. Not anymore. And let's make this clear. The minute Manchester United no longer served Cristiano Ronaldo's needs and where he wanted to go in his career, he left. Right? So, such is life. The reverse also happens. That once you outlive your utility to a, a business, a football club, then there's an inevitability about what comes next. Cristiano Ronaldo replaced people at Manchester United that were in exactly the same position he was in. So, he's in a position where he hasn't... His performances on the pitch don't warrant tolerating his... Petulance, in my opinion, but, well, but is this is this not him. is this not above Ronaldo? This is incompetence from above and not signing another striker, in my opinion. You can say what you want about Martial, but Martial wasn't in anyone's plans at the start of the season. Well, certainly from a fan perspective, you didn't think Martial would have featured much this year. He's looked good when he's come on, but again, can he stay fit? No. Is yeah. Rashford an out an out and out nine? No. Who else is an out and out nine? There isn't. When you need a goal in the last five minutes of a game, you need someone who's going to throw himself about the box. The only player that we had in that squad at the weekend that could have done that was Cristiano Ronaldo. You know who's top goal scorer in Serie A? Go. Or an out of it. <laughs> you need a body, you need a striker. There's no question about that. They're the most expansive. They're the most expansive players in world football. And you need only look at our friends down at the Merseys, Merseyside there with Darwin Nunez to show what you get. <laughs> I mean, I still think uh, he'll come good, though. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. I share that view. Um, I think that um, now this is a United pod. We don't talk about Darwin Nunez too much here, but I, if I see a player that's technically very good, that's getting in the right positions, it's missing chances, but you know, doing everything right, I can say to myself, I can see where eventually he gets his confidence, things will go right. But he is so abysmal at everything that I'm going, there's a lot to get right. And then there's the mental side of it. This is a kid that in his first season at Benfica had a very similar start and deleted his social media because he couldn't take the criticism. 
I even see Liverpool fans playing in them. And they're, they're notoriously loyal to their players. So I am so glad United did not sign Darwin Nunez because if they had, and that's the performance he was putting in, if he thinks the criticism's bad now, he has no idea. I mean, Manchester United, the criticism that Manchester United get is unlike anything else. I mean, the criticism Ten Hag's taken is a disgrace, in my opinion. I mean, the man's been questioned about his dress sense, his, 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 his vocabulary, you know, his accent, all the things that are totally irrelevant. You know, his, his body language on the sideline, all this nonsense. So, you know, there's not a lot out there. I think uh, Sesco is a player that, um, I mean, you that chance falls to Sesco in a lot versus Rashford, I think it's in. I think that's a player that will pursue uh, in the summer, and I think uh, he'd be a good choice. I think, you know, right now we're relying on Anthony Martial to come back and save us. That's what we're, we're relying on. We're relying on Anthony Martial to get the goals. Rashford has shown time and time again that he's not a proven goal scorer. I think... You know, we we get on his back a bit. He's he's a local lad, and then half the fan base, you know, feel sorry for him. Others are very hard on him. But I personally, yeah, what does he really show you? What does he get? He, if he's going one on one with the keeper, I'm not, I'm not certain he's going to score. In fact, I'm not even sixty percent certain he's going to score. If anything, I'm sixty seventy percent certain he's going to miss. That's how I feel whenever a chance falls to him. Now he's been good in in previous weeks. He's 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 done well, but of recent times, he's not done much. He re- like look at the, those chances. Look at those chances on Saturday, right? Think think of past strikers at Manchester United. Ninety nine percent of those chances are finished, and that's that's the difference between what we have now and what we used to have. And when, whenever we're comparing ourselves to ch- title challengers, you said something there a few minutes ago about how we need to be focusing back on competing for trophies. Mm. This team at the moment, there's no chance. Here's the thing about Rashford for me pros and cons we're still talking about the same things the same shortcomings of Marcus Rashford's game that we were talking about three years ago right that he needed to make that next jump in his development where his conversion ratio had to be much higher his decision making had to be better in the final third and when I look at him I'm like Rashford's a date is a good winger but he's not a central striker you need someone down the middle that is much more clinical if Rashford gets you 15 to 20 goals from the left hand side I mean I'm, I probably think he's a better winger than Jadon Sancho um, then he's worth it then he's worth keeping around I don't think he's a central striker you'd have to play him there because they've no one else down there with pace um, with a physical presence so you know that's of course with the captain of Martial um, so I think for them you know he, he's the best of a bad bunch at the moment but it's not just him it's midfield Midfield has to give United more. Take a look at this. United have one goal in the Premier League this season from midfield. That's not good enough, Con. Bruno Fernandes is the only player to have scored from the... From, I mean, Scott McTominay scored against next year, right? But I'm talking about in the Premier League. So basically, you're sitting on Bruno, one goal, one assist. McTominay, zero goal, zero assist. Eriksen, two assists. Casemiro, one assist. That's not good enough. Right, you ju- Phil Foden scored a hat trick against United. That means he scored more goals in one game than the, all of United's midfield combined. It's not good enough. Midfield has to give more, and Bruno Fernandez has been poor for a while. And and I'm saying since he's taken that captain's armband, or or at least since the start of the season, he's been nowhere near the levels of the past that United need him to be at. 
You know, if United are going to finish in the top four, they're going to need to score 60 plus goals. That means midfield is going to have to seriously chip in. So when you're sitting here looking at Bruno Fernandez, one goal, one assist, no goals from any other midfielders, not good enough. But if we're looking at, at the team at the moment, do you think we would benefit from a change in formation? Because you're saying that, that the midfield aren't chipping in. There needs to be... Like, the players we have in midfield are all capable of chipping in with goals and assists. Mm -hmm. I, I, think, I think we can safely say that. I mean, do, do we need to look at a change in formation? Do we need to look at something different? Is maybe this system Ten Hag's using not working? It's po it's a possibility, and that's not a criticism of Ten Hag. I don't think so. It's a criticism of the system more than anything. I don't think United could have a more attack-minded midfield than Eriksen, Bruno Fernandes, and a holding midfielder. I mean, if you look back at Ranić and previous managers, he was getting pillared for playing Fred McTominay, two basic, basically defensive midfielders. Um, so it's hard to see how they could be more attack-minded than what they are, with without completely tipping the balance. You know, Newcastle has the best defensive record in the league, so they're hard to break down. And a three points against Newcastle would have been a brilliant three points, right? This is a Newcastle that hit five and four the week before. Newcastle that took points off Man City hit three against Man City and admitted they were at home. Right? So, you know, I, I don't think it's a disgrace to draw nil each at home in a game where the second half United could really dominate the game, in my opinion. Um, I think there was some disgraceful refereeing, a, a truly appalling refereeing performance, in my opinion, and really bizarre. Jadon Sancho's is a penalty. There's no doubt about that. And yet you see these decisions being given week in, week out somewhere else. You see, if that happens anywhere else on the pitch, that's a free kick, right? You're seeing Dan Byrne should have been sent off at the weekend. How he got away when Anthony flicked it over his head and he grabbed him and poked him in the eye, essentially. How he got away with not getting a yellow card. Think about what Dowell got a yellow card for against Man City. You got what Molassi got a yellow card for months City. How on earth do you see that? And and if he gets booked, he's sent off. These things matter, right? So you know, there's so many appalling decisions, and it's it, I, I can't stand the posturing. I see referees. You know, I think they love their moment in the sun. You know, when that VAR check's happening, the cameras on them. You know, they're and I'm looking at this going. This is why you don't turn referees into celebrities. This is why you don't have Mark Clattenburgs and Jeff Winters and all this doing, Graham Pohl and all this doing TV and turning, selling books and everything else, right? Make, make Dean's a celebrity, right? This is why you don't do this. Goes to their head. And all of a sudden it's about them. You know, I'm gonna make, wait three minutes to make this decision because the focus is on me. I'm not saying that's what happened every time, but I'm looking at decisions in the Premier League every week that I, I mean, perfect example. You look at, um, the penalty was given against United by Real Sociedad, right? I've seen about 15 situations since then where penalties weren't given for exactly the same thing. United could have conceded a penalty early too for, for, um, for Cam Wilson. Completely accept that. Also, there was nothing wrong with that free kick that Ronaldo took around the keeper and scored. They took that, right? I think it's safe to say that the standard of the referee in, in the Premier League is the worst. It's not done. Is... <laughs> The standard of refereeing is the worst in Europe. It's shocking. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's no consistency whatsoever, especially from the VAR. Why can VAR not look at that Ronaldo goal and say that that that's clearly a goal? He's touched the ball. Mm -hmm. the, in terms of the penalties, it's a, a 
Stonewall penalty on Sancho. It's a penalty on Ronaldo. These decisions aren't being given. In other leagues, they're being given, and that's you've touched on it there. Saucy dad, you know, it's not given. There's no consistency. The Ooh. Premier League's refereeing system is shocking. And Remember, th- there's never any comeuppance. That why are they not coming out after the game being interviewed? Why is that not a thing where the referee is under the spotlight? Because they should be. If you make a decision rightly or wrongly, you should be able to explain yourself. Because we're still left here wondering why it wasn't given. Well, you take a look at Ederson against Crystal Palace. Palace were two 0 up at Man City. Ederson throws the ball out. I can't even remember if it was Zaha or whatever. Taps the ball in the net. It was the most blatantly obvious goal you could. I mean, it wasn't even difficult. And they didn't give it. Now, Palace end up losing that game. If they're 3-0 up, it's a different game. This is, this is having a massive impact on uh, results. And, and, and I mean, I think back to last season, Man City-Everton, Rodri's handball in the box, where Frank Lampard got an apology. But City got the points. I know what I'd rather have. Now, that was a massive moment in the race for the Premier League. And it wasn't given on VAR. How can you look at that? I, I am now being told that you cannot gain an advantage from a handball in the box, deliberate or not, and score. Well, how the fuck did you give the goal against the FA Cup in Middlesbrough? Hi! It's a blatant... I mean, he controls it with his hand, brings it down, shoots and scores. And you don't give that? Mate, I'm going to let you talk to yourself for one second because my internet's just about to go out. They're doing work outside. More and I can, than one it's second. literally circling on my screen. Give us one second. All right, I'll let you reconnect. Um, I, I think there was something that was very telling that Arsene Wenger said before the Man City game that I think um, had an impact on the result of the weekend. Arsene Wenger was saying one of the reasons why Ericsson was so important to Manchester United is when you shut Bruno Fernandes down previous uh, teams before you had someone like Ericsson United were quite predictable they'd go wide a lot launch a ball in the box and hope to get somebody on the end of it I felt that they were doing that against Newcastle at the weekend I felt that without Ericsson which was he was badly badly missed um, I think that had a big impact on um on, on the result <coughs> I was just saying there that um, Arsene Wenger was saying before the City game uh, if you one of the reasons why Christian Eriksen was so important to United is if you shot Bruno Fernandes down in a game they became somewhat one demands not they would knock the ball away throw the ball in the box and hope and get somebody <coughs> out of it I thought you saw that the weekend with, with, with Fred where United became a bit too predictable against a team that has the best defence in the league you need a Christian Eriksen in a game like that I agree with you. I think the problem with Fred is, and this is, again, my opinion, and I make it slam for it, but I think in a team that presses, Fred is great. In a team that controls possession, Fred is shocking. Because he doesn't have the license to roam like Bruno has to roam. If Fred was in Bruno's position, we'd see him more effective. And we see that whenever he played for Shakhtar, and we see that... I don't think he has times. a technique to play that. that no, really he, he does, because way, way I, I've... Often. No, no, I agree. In possession, he's not good on the ball. But if he plays further forward and he's given a license to roam and he's more free-flowing, he is good. It's it's whenever he's in that position, he's holding midfield. He just, he's like Bambi on ice at times. To be fair, the defensive midfield position, you have to be really good. Because if you look at the, the way you typically receive the ball in defensive midfield, you have your back to the opposition a lot. 
And if you're technically lacking, you lose the ball in key areas that is really, really dangerous. You saw this, United tried to play it from the back at the weekend. They got caught. Uh, technically not good enough to get out of tight situations. And so when I look at this, I'm not sure Fred or McTominay. I think Casemiro, although he's been you know, somewhat good, somewhat bad, um, I think um, he is technically more suited to play in that role um, because I just don't think Fred or McTominay have the technique to play in that role and, and get away with it. Uh, I also don't think they have tremendous defensive discipline. McTominay obviously offers something that Fred doesn't. He offers height, he offers physicality. That's really, really important. Because United need that, and they need, uh, you know, I, I, and that's obviously why he plays. You know, I never understood the, you know, why people are confused as to why Scott McTominay plays. I assume they don't watch United. Um, well, I'll also talk about um, the game coming up against Spurs. This is a, another very difficult game. And when you look at this, in, we're, we're sitting here in October. United will have played Liverpool, City, Arsenal, Spurs, Chelsea. That's a hard start. It's, it's getting all the hard games out the way. And, and to be honest, the Spurs game is very important because we're at home and then we're away to, to Chelsea. The, those are two extremely important well. games. I mean, Chelsea are playing good football. Spurs are playing okay as well. And Spurs, obviously, we need to get three points out of these two games. I can't say it's one of both, and if we do, it's a miracle. But get three points out of these two games. And to me, that's a, that's a result. At the moment, with how United are playing, I'd be happy with three points out of these two games. I mean, two two draws now. You need to get a win out of these two games. Spurs are going to be hard to come up against because the way Conte has them playing at the moment, and especially on the counter-attack against us, I could see them doing damage. Chelsea as well, you, you've just said it, Chelsea are playing great football at the moment. Um, obviously, with Aubameyang in attack, you've got, I think they're, they're playing Pulisic and uh, Sterling either side of them. So, I mean, even that midfield, Chelsea's midfield, they're trying to stop Mason Mount, it's tough at the minute. So, I don't. I definitely can't see Fred playing. I, I think we need, the, we need to stop McCombie in midfield. We need his, obviously, physical attributes more so than anything against a team like Chelsea. Um, is, he, is he able to play against Spurs? I think he is. He's back, isn't it? It was only a one-game suspension. Oh, he's suspended for the Spurs game. I tried for, he's, he's suspended for that, is he? Yeah, yeah and that's well. that's a big loss because one of the things you get with a Conte team is you get physicality. You get yeah. uh, intensity. Right? And so that's a really difficult game. Really difficult game for United. I mean, I think United, we have to understand where United are at. They're nowhere near the level they need to be at to where you can be going into these games with confidence because they're still inconsistent. Um, I think Ten Hag has done a really good job so far. I think every time there's been a negative, there's been a reaction to it, which I, 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 I love. Like, I mean, after Brantford, there was a perfect reaction. After City, there was a perfect reaction. You see this with subs coming on the pitch that are desperate to play their way into the team. Subs coming on scoring goals. McTominay coming on scoring goals against Nicosia. Ronaldo coming on scoring a goal against Everton. You know, we see this a lot with, with players you know, coming off the bench scoring goals. Um, Rashford, I think, did he come off from Martial? I can't remember. Against Everton, should have scored, was disallowed, of course. But, uh, but the point is, you could see this happening a lot where players that are desperate to play their way into the team. Luke Shaw gets a chance, desperate to keep the shirt and play and keep his way in the team. You know, And I think two things have hurt some of the fringe players. That three-week gap, which meant United could play their strongest team in the Europa League, which makes it harder and harder to play your way into the team if you're Harry Maguire right? or players like that. Um, and I think the consistency of the players that have started 
So I think um, most, most weeks when United have a fully fit squad, their team is somewhat predictable about who they're going to pick, and that's exactly how it should be. You know, because you can look at it and go, I, I, Ten Hag worked out who his strongest eleven was, the strongest nine anyway, by the end of September, and I, I think this is a guy, like Luke Shaw said, everything's being done on merit. How many decisions is he made? I mean, you can just talk about in-game decisions. I, I wouldn't agree with that, but. How many major decisions do you think Ten Hag's got wrong? Not, not many. And mm-hmm. only the in-game decisions like the likes of taking Ronaldo off. Just in that moment, mm-hmm. I think you would have kept Ronaldo, sure. in my opinion. But big decisions, you're right. But this is where I think the incompetence from above is affecting us because the strength and depth just isn't there. You look at the bench and you're wondering, like, do you bring Granacho on for Anthony? Is that really going to be the type of substitution that's going to light up the game? Probably not. But he's the only kind of one you're looking at. Alanga, again, I don't know, he would have benefited from being out on loan, I think, this season. So, to me, the strength and depth is going to hurt us even more as we go down the season. Because you, you, you're you saying you don't think we're going to sign anyone in January after mm-hmm. the World Cup. I disagree. I think like you have to, especially this season with the World Cup and how the second half of the season is just so much more important, so much more congested with games. You're going to need more strength and depth, and that's something that we are lacking. The problem is, Cam, where's the money coming from? Ten Hag's going to get the same answers that Ralph Ranić got last January, and United needed players then. United badly needed players then. But you sit there, you look at what United have talked about before, even when they were released their financials there a while ago. And John, the 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 statement from John Murda, you know, we don't we don't look at January transfer windows as as part of our recruitment strategy. I obviously, uh, if you need someone gets badly injured, what have you then okay. But it's hard for me to imagine a scenario where United will go into the market because if they're sitting in the top four relatively comfortably, they'll not feel the urgency to go out and send anyone. And if they're will not... We, will we be comfortable in the top no, four? No, I don't think... I, I, I think it'll be tight. You know, um, I think um, if you look at the first... After... If you look... So, so Ten Hag's really still in that find-out stage of his job, right? Where he's still learning a lot about the teams he's playing against, about his own team about you know diff- I think he has to at least be given his first season as a find out season and he knows he has to win I mean he spent 220 million this summer so you know I'm not saying that he isn't shouldn't be held accountable for results I'm not saying he shouldn't be held accountable for performances and everything but I think he has to be given the chance to fix the mistakes in the team this is my concern with United always is Will they still have the same sense of urgency? Let's say United finish second. Because I think second's wide open, right? I really do. And it wouldn't surprise me to be sitting talking about Arsenal two months from now, having not won a game for seven games or something like that. It would not surprise me at all that they go on a... On a, on a, on a that they, there are straps out, because that's Arsenal. So I think second is wide open. Let's say United are sitting in second and do what they did under Solskjaer. I... If you look at when they've done that, Mourinho, Solskjaer, they've always followed that summer up with parsimony, with not going out and strengthening, because they lose that sense of urgency that they need to spend, that something needs to be done. I mean, you look at this transfer window. They panicked after Brantford. The budget completely changed. The budget basically doubled after Brantford. Remember the story about the players going up and saying, playing with the Glazers, the same players, everyone else. All of a sudden, they go from... You know, Rabio and Arnautovic to Casemiro and Anthony. So 
there was a dramatic shift based on results and the concern that United were in serious, serious trouble. There was other pressure being put on by sponsors and everything else, don't get this right, by international rights holders and what have you. Um, but um, I, uh, to borrow one of your phrases, I just still think United are a reactionary football club and are very poor at being proactive and investing in their future. They invest in the right now. They're, they're a band-aid, a plaster football club. And, but if you say to the Glazers, invest 150 million this summer, you'll not get returns on it for like another year or two. I, I, I doubt they'll do that. They should do that. Right? And this is going to be really the test as to whether Ten Hag can execute on what he needs to do to fix this football club. But is it, is it not? Like, we, we can't be sitting here this time next season and say we're still waiting on a striker. We yeah, need to have a striker in. So whether that's January... In my opinion, the best the best time to do it is January because Ronaldo he's fallen off. Is he going to leave in January? Who knows? Even if he doesn't, still think we need one more in. So rather than be reactionary, we need to be proactive in the window and we need to have a striker in. I agree because because at the end of next season we can't be sitting here saying oh we finished second it was great but if we had that striker who could have got us an extra fifteen goals 10, 15 goals between January and the end of the season it could be a totally different outcome and you've said there as well about how we've be, become oh, we're happy enough for that second, we're not going to spend money. We need to be the opposite of that. We need to be, okay, let's invest, let's get get the top spot, let's put money into this team because we're on the cusp of it. Not waiting. What's the point in waiting? Look at where we are now. Mm-hmm. No, I, could, I mean, imagine if they had the same Vlavic in January or Luis Diaz in January, right? Which they should have done. And so maybe they don't give Ten Hag the same answer because he's a long-term manager and Ranić wasn't. But if they turn around, if so, like Sesco is available in January for I don't know sixty million, right? They'd be insane not to, not to pursue him because all you're going to do is put it off for six months. This is a guy I'm going to go for in six months, but it'll come out of next summer's budget. Which so if you need to go out and send a sixty million pound striker thereabouts in January. Then that's obviously going to come out of next summer's budget. But there's uh, variables. All depends on the football club and all that there. I think what will determine that it's January transfer window capability will be a lot of what happens in the financial markets over the next few months um, and that volatility. If we are in a tsunami of hurt, as Elon Musk said, um, then I don't see that happening. I, I also think that other football clubs won't be immune to it and you're going to see some recalibration of transfer fees and, and transfer valuations simply because there just won't be the money around that there, that, that there was before. But then what happens? So if we if we don't buy anyone this time next year, we're in the exact same position. Oh, they'll, fact, they'll probably, definitely do we're, it, prob- but... we're probably worse off. So if you're telling me we're going to wait until the summer, I think that's the wrong move. Because then we're going to be in exactly the same situation as we are now. We're going to be scrambling for a striker next summer because, you know what, everyone else is putting up their prices. United need a striker. They've lost Ronaldo. That's well, the situation they're faced with. Here's the thing. United would be happy to sacrifice Ronaldo. right? But has Ronaldo done anything since he wanted to leave that would indicate he's a player at the top, at top of his game? Ronaldo could go to a football club that plays in the Champions League, but he can't go to a football club that wants to win the Champions League and is serious about winning it. So the question then becomes, who... Right now, obviously, if he goes and has a good World Cup, that will change things. And and he desperately needs a good World Cup to be able to turn around and say, see, it's not me, it's Man United. Right? And if he does have a good World Cup, there'll be interest in him in January, no question. But I look at Ronaldo, hasn't scored in seven of Portugal's last eight games. Right? 
there's even talk in Portugal about not taking him to the World Cup. Uh, I do a podcast with Zach Lowy, who is quite frankly an encyclopedia in Portuguese football. And there, the, the, the views on Ronaldo from people like him who know Portuguese football are quite pejorative. So I'm looking at this and I'm going, what's the probability Ronaldo's going to go light this World Cup up? Not high, right, in my opinion. Um, because my eyes don't deceive me. I can see what his problems are. But if, the, in my opinion, the best thing Cristiano Ronaldo could do for his career is shut his mouth, stay at Manchester United, and try to find a way back into the football club, because that, to me, is the best chance he has of playing Champions League football next season. But that, I, 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 I so think you United genuinely think there's I think, a possibility? I think Tim Hag's desperate to get rid of him. But do you think there's a possibility he could be there next season? No. There's no chance? No. Wait. There's no way. Ten Hag wants him out. Right? You can't have a guy in there questioning your methods. You can't have a guy in there doing that when he's brought off. Right? I mean, if I was coaching an under-12 team and a kid did that, I'd have a word with him after the game. I would turn around and say, son, that petulance right, is disrespectful to your teammates. Manage, imagine how it feels for the guy coming on. I mean, it's so disrespectful, right? And it's like, what does that say to Rashford? It also puts unnecessary pressure on players because you're also trying to prove a point to Ronaldo as much as you're trying to prove a point to United fans and Ten Hag, everyone else. You know, you ever you make two guys fight over a pounding. The pressure now on the taker is so much higher because what's in the back of his head? I got to prove a point to the guy trying to take a ball off me, right? And so this is where I feel that United, Ronaldo behaved like a brat, and I don't want to make this whole podcast about Ronaldo, but in, in, the, in the summer, and he got egg on his face because he couldn't find a football club interested in taking him. Maybe he wants to have a bit of self-awareness and go, maybe I'm not the player I was 10 years ago, five years ago, right? And, and so it's, it's, there's no top clubs will take him, in my opinion. Anyway, uh, Another quite, before we get to questions, another quite disturbing development over the weekend, of course, and we'll, we'll have to tread carefully here, but we'll comment on it briefly, was the Mason Greenwood situation. Mason Greenwood is looking at serious, serious prison time. I, I don't know what we can and can't say about this, but I think he's in a whole world of trouble, I think. Bit like the Mendy situation at City, United haven't reacted by sacking him yet because he is technically innocent until proven guilty. But I think Mason yes. Greenwood's days as a Manchester United player are done, dusted, see you later. 100%. I think his days, his days as a Premier League footballer are done, dusted, see you later. He can only hope for some sort of situation where he avoids prison time. I'm not sure how he does that, but um, yeah, in my opinion, it's done and dusted. And I don't know what else we can really say about it. Yeah, to be honest. I, know. I, I, I mean, I'm going to. Uh, wrap this up quickly but what's, what's sort of odd is in March the GMP were considering dropping charges and um, this is what I was reliably told by someone um, so clearly they've acquired evidence to m make these charges stick so he's in big big trouble and the tragedy of course isn't that Macy Greenwood loses his career it's that there was a young woman who was a victim and if this was my sister or my daughter, I would cave his head in. And that's what you have to think about here. It's not, Manchester United aren't the victims here. Mason Greenwood isn't the victims here. Manchester United fans are not the victims here. That young lady is. And uh, 
I think it's incumbent upon football clubs to make sure that they offer services to people who are victims of their employees' abuse. In my opinion, I think United need to make sure they support her. I think United have handled it impeccably well. And they've done the right thing from the, from, from the outset. And um, you know, I'm not going to comment on Mason Greenwood's uh, whether he's guilty or is there any, uh, anything to exculpate him, but um, what an unbelievably tragic story for that young lady. And, and um, there has to, it has to be made clear to people, footballers, athletes who are surrounded by enablers, that this behaviour will not be tolerated and you will be outed. Uh, I have no doubt there's a lot more people in football with similar stories to Mason Greenwood, I have no doubt. Um, and, and I have no doubt that the law doesn't get applied equally in certain situations because of enablers. Um, but uh, Mason Greenwood is, is finished to me and I never ever want to see the kid near a month in the church again. In fact, I'd like to forget the ever play for the football club. Because um, all I can think about is, what if that was my daughter? Anyway. It's true. I, I don't have any comments to make on it. I mean, you've you've put it far enough there. Don't think there's anything else to add on that one. Um, you, <clears> I <throat> think we have some questions, folks. Most, a lot of the questions are about United and the buyout. Uh, I commented on it on Friday on the podcast. It's still pinned to my po- to my page. Um, so really, isn't much more to add on it since then. Um, so. Uh, I, it, that would be the best resource for for what I for what I know uh, and what I've been told, and uh, I, I would just point you to that. There's no point in really asking answering more questions. Um, you know, interest and development. Come just quickly comment on this. It was something we talked about before on this podcast that I said was a certain inevitability. Um, so the United are probably going to play in a preseason competition in the US, um, where there's gonna be groups and everything else. And this, of course, is the next step and probably the final step towards competitive fixtures being played abroad. Whatever you see in US sports is coming to UK sports, 100%. And that is another purest tradition that's ready to be sacrificed. I said within five years, and the, moment, uh, the only thing I'm not sure about is whether it'll be sooner than that. I don't think it's a it's a bad thing for once a season to showcase it because I think it's fair that there's there's people like you don't get to go and watch United every week. You're a lifelong United fan. You don't get to watch United if yeah, United but I, I was, but, I, but I moved. United shouldn't. Mm. You know, I, no, so no, no, I, no, 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 I, I think no, it's good to see pre-season. I don't, I, I don't want to see competitive fixtures, man. It'll ever move, but I do think there comes a point where because of the size of Manchester United, because of the size of the Premier League, because of the reach of the Premier League, it's inevitable, it's going to happen. It happened in the NFL with the coming to the UK. It is going to happen in football. I don't think, I think it should be like the NFL where one team goes every three years. Like, for example, the New York Giants, when we just back there last time, they were here like six years ago. I don't think it should be a regular occurrence that United go every season. I think it should be spread out amongst the 20 clubs. And if it's going to happen, I'm saying, I don't think it, it should happen, in my opinion, but I think it will happen is what I'm saying. And I think that at least once a season, it's going to happen in terms of a team going there. And I think, obviously, with United, United are probably the biggest the biggest in America. So it's going to be those that are going. And look, it's like this. See, in the UK, you can't watch a 3 p.m. game. The sooner that really gets scrapped, the better. Yeah, you have to be able to watch a 3 p.m. game. Everyone in the UK should have the access, accessibility to be able to watch Manchester United every game of the season if you want to. Like, it just doesn't make sense. We're in 2022. It's crazy. So if you're going to start moving games away... They need to bring in this rule where 
they scrap that blackout at 3 p.m. because that's shocking. Mate, see, when I wake up on a Saturday morning, <clears throat> eight here, I can watch any Premier League match that I want. I can watch any La Liga match, any Serie A match. I mean, I'm talking about any league, Scotland, Scottish Premier League. I'm sitting there, and still I watch Debbie Does Dollars. Um, but I can watch any Premier League football match I want. Uh, and it's an a la carte menu, right? I get better coverage out here than what you get. Uh, but that's a disgrace. I know, it's totally unacceptable. Uh, and so I, I don't, I, I, I don't, I mean, is it really deterring people from going to games? You know, I mean, but to be fair, they have NFL blackouts here, right? So that you no, would get, that, yeah. that we wouldn't get to try to protect that. But I, I, I don't see, I, look, there was a documentary done, I think it was in the early 90s, that uh, was quite prescient, that showed um, individuals talking about how perfidious the influence will be of television on scheduling and football sport, uh, football in general, and they were absolutely right. So that trajectory isn't changing. So eventually, I mean, you take a look at the United Chelsea game, absolutely disgraceful situation where they couldn't agree on a kickoff time and then the police limit Manchester United, how many Manchester United fans can go there. But again, this is a fo- this is a television issue, right? And so you've got games being scheduled uh, in London between two teams uh, from from the north of England on a on a Sunday night, uh, maybe an FA Cup semi final or something. Where, and, and the game's over when the last and the last train's already gone back. I mean, that's just ridiculous. So um, I think. Um, we're going to see more and more of that, where TV, eventually that embargo will get broken. Once it's of value to the television companies to break that, then that, that, will, that will definitely definitely go. Um, another question that we were asked on here was, Eric Ten Hag may continue to do, for this is from Ben Allen, do a good job, but still not make top four, looking at the resurgence of Arsenal Spurs. Surely that could top four kills the Glazers. I, the, the, the punitive measures of not finishing top four this season are far more severe than any other. And the Glazers are already, already at a very difficult position, a very difficult point, precipice. Um, I think they'll finish whether United finish top four or not, simply because United are at a point where they need such... The, 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 the lack of investment in, in, in the infrastructure of the football club has reached such a critical point now, where United so desperately need that. And they don't have the resources to do it. So, for the changes that the for for the things that United need to spend uh, on and the, and the resources that they need, the, I mean Richard Arnold's. I don't have to take my word for it. Richard Arnold told you this. Uh, that money's just not there. So, um, I honestly feel that not qualifying for Champions League would be devastating in a year when United are negotiating that renegotiating that Adidas deal. If United are going into that negotiation from a position of weakness, having not qualified for the Champions League again, then the only thing that's going to happen is Adidas will make sure, if they renew, Nike didn't renew, and I don't believe United are commercially and reputationally in a better position today than what they were when they negotiated that Adidas deal in 2014. So is their value, is their, is, is, is their fan equity really that much more valuable commercially? I don't think so. So um, I, I honestly think it is so important for the Glazers to make sure United finish top four, not just for to avoid the penalty 
what that, that data will, will impose, but to make sure the value of that contract renewal remains intact. And that is worth a significant amount of money to Manchester United in the future. See, these are the things that will be spooking the Glazers. Does that not counteract what you've said, though, in terms of not spending in January? Because if they need to spend in January mm. in order for us to finish top four, then surely it's within their best interest to do so. Depends, because depends where United are at. Right? So if United are sitting just on the fringes of top four, they might turn around and say, look, we've already given this guy $220 million. We expect to finish top four, which I think is a reasonable expectation uh, with what they've spent this summer and say, go prove it before we give you another $60 million to spend. If they're comfortably inside the top four, they're not going to see the need to spend. So it's going to depend on the fitness of certain players. It's going to depend on where United are at in the league. If they're miles off top four, what would be the point? Um, I don't think they will be. It, it all depends on what happens at the World Cup with players. Uh, there's so many variables. That they, and, and, and where the players are at with regards to ownership of the football club, um, if they are confident that that football club is going to be sold, you know, and I've made this analogy before, this is like fattening up the cow before slaughter, and the cow thinks the farmer is his friend when he's being fattened up, but doesn't realise the reason why. It's very possible that they will allow United to borrow more money that they aren't paying back to go yeah. buy another player. Casemiro, to me, was evidence that the Glazers don't intend to be around. Every, I mean, they wouldn't sign Holland because of resale value, right? So you're walking away from the best young players in the world due to resale value. You wouldn't sign Thiago Alcantara because he was 29 months at a four-year contract. But yet you agree an 80 million deal for Casemiro, who has no resale value. You only do that if one, you're not paying for it, and two, you're not going to be around to... Uh, realize the depreciation. That's somebody else's problem. So I think that um, if United spend big in January, uh, that is not an indication that the Glazers aren't selling. That to me would be more of an indication that they don't intend paying that bill. But then where does, where does that leave us? Because if, for example, they don't spend in January, right, we don't finish top four. Yeah, it, affects the re- it affects the resale value and they don't sell the club, then we're back to square one. It, it, so where, where does the it, bug stop then? It doesn't really affect the resale value in, in because here's the thing. The people that are going to buy United are multi-billionaires. They're not going to be put off by United finishing fifth. They're not going to be put off by United even finishing mid-table. I mean, you've got clubs that are in the bottom half of the table being sold easily. Oh, so... United's value is in their brand, the recognition of their brand globally. That gives you a tremendous platform to, to punt other things, to use them uh, as a proxy if you want to promote your NFL team, you want to promote your baseball team, your own company, whatever, right? So I, I get what you're saying. I think for, for uh, people like Jim Ratcliffe, it might affect the price because they are trying to get an honest evaluation on what United are worth. And but certainly, my point, sorry. Well, just want to finish this because I do believe yeah, yeah. United's early form spooked the Glazers, right? Where they invested to make sure because the United in the bottom three is a catastrophe, and that really would affect the price. But if it's a question of fourth and seventh, I, I don't think it would. But you, your point there, sorry, I'm just confused because you've mm. said the Glazers need to have Manchester United in the top four 
for the commercial value that they'll get for the club. If they're going to keep the a brand, club, yes. If if for the brand partnerships. 100%. So, so, to sell, so to sell the club, they don't care? No, so what it would do is it would force their hand quicker to sell a football club because the football club would need investment. Right, to, to, just to, be, to carry on its basic function, to make sure they continue to keep, take out dividends, they would need money. So, um, you know that that and in a, in a market where borrowing money is costing you twice as much as what it was a year ago, that's not a position of strength. And obviously, any potential buyer will take advantage of that desperation. And it would certainly help force the hand of Joel Glazer because if you turn on to Joel Glazer and say, "All right, to keep this football club, Joel." You're going to need to find 700 million from somewhere and you've got nobody willing to invest in a partial takeover or partial investment of football club without a long-term strategy of takeover. Where are you getting the money, mate? So then that, the incentive to own the football club dramatically changes. So then they sit down and they go, well, wait a minute. This football club's value will plummet if we don't continue to invest because there's an inevitable consequence. So if United are sitting in the bottom three or bottom half of the table, where they're so bad, where they're getting slaughtered every week by ex-players, by sponsors will take nothing to do with that. But if cruising altitude, if United is somewhere around the top four where they're not so bad, where it's not provoking all this you know toxic reaction, then they you know they they could plausibly write that out. But um, you know they 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 need money, and and so losing large commercial contracts is 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 absolutely. Uh, devastating to their intention, to their to their desire to hold on to the football club in the long term. Um, so it would put them in a position of weakness if the football clubs, you know, if they it, borderline insolvent under their ownership, where you need need to continue to borrow just just to survive. So uh, uh, and I don't think you can realistically compete with teams in the Premier League doing that because United will need to spend quite big again next summer. They'll need to buy. You know, another defensive midfielder, in my opinion, to get rid of Fred, which I'm sure they will. They'll need to spend on a striker. They'll need to probably get another right back. So, you know, there's still a, a lot of work to be done there and a lot of expansive work. Another question from uh, Ben Ben Allen's about do we need some proper old-fashioned width on one side, not inverted wingers? Mm. I actually do, and, and that was the point that I touched on last week in terms of Anthony. And I think Garnacho is probably more of that. To me... You know, we looked at Anthony at the weekend, and another question here from Connor Higgins is: Do you think it would be better for Anthony to play on the left hand side because he can't use his right foot? Yeah. And I mean, is that something that we need to look at with Anthony? I know he has played out the right, and I know he's good at coming mm. instead, but his right foot is non-existent. Yeah, look, um, I, I, he was switched over on the right against Nicosia for a while. Um, of course, depends on what you want from him. You know, people like to play right footers on the left as they cut inside their left footers on the right because they cut inside. Some people like to have that natural width. But I think if you look at how Ten Hag wants his wide players to play, similar to Solskjaer in the sense that he wants him to attack down the channels. Uh, this is what Guardiola does too, where... He has his wingers tuck in and leave that space for your left winger, your or your left wing back, your right wing back, and attack the channels and support the striker. I remember when Spurs came to Old Trafford and murdered them six one. It was all to do with Lucas Moura and Son attacking the channels inside. And what was happening was Luke Shaw was getting dragged. Uh, Luke Shaw was getting dragged way too wide. And the massive gaps between the left back and the centre back were being attacked. 
So you can stretch the game by playing wingers, but you have to have people that attack in that space. Otherwise, if a winger just stretches the game, it just narrows the space that he has to play in because they're easy to mark. So to me, I think um, the inverted wingers are... And I honestly think for Jadon Sancho, who to me, we talked about this last week, is probably more of a false nine than a winger because he doesn't have the pace to be a winger. That is his best position. But there is a player that United need to get more from. It hasn't really recovered since United had that break. He was poor again, in my opinion, at the weekend. And you look at United rivals and what they're getting out of players in that position. And I rate Jadon Sancho and I think he will come good. This this really is a time now for him to step up and show he's an eighty-five million pound footballer. Because United need him in games like when you buy an eighty-five million pound player, you're not buying him to get you a goal against Norwich. You're not buying him to get you a goal against Bournemouth. You're buying him to make the difference in games like this, and that's where they need to show their quality. Well, do you think, in, in your opinion, that these fullbacks need to be given us more? Because I think they do. I think going forward we're lacking in that you look look at the good teams like Liverpool, Man City at the moment. Mm. Their fullbacks are pivotal to what they're doing, whereas our fullbacks aren't. And I think that's that's very important going forward that we have two fullbacks who are attacking, who have that attack minded awareness. Because at the moment it's just not there. Well I think um <clears throat> Dallow has been the best form he's ever been at United. Right? Yeah. And I think that between Still don't think he's starting right back. No, no, no probably, probably not. Probably United need better quality in that position. Right? Um, and I think United are in the healthiest position they've been in at left back for a while with Sean Malazia. Now, the thing is, do United get enough of their fullbacks going forward? Before I worry about what Shaw and Malazia and Dallo Wambasak has given me, I'm going back to my midfield. What are you doing? Are you doing your job? They're defenders. Yes, they have to give United width and options going forward. But if my central players aren't scoring goals, they're not taking chances, then Shaw, Dallow, Malassi, whoever plays there is going to look bad. They're going to be primarily rated on their assists. That requires people to finish those chances. Rashford requires you to finish that chance. right? Fred requires you to finish that chance. Right, those are, those, you know, so th- those are going to have a big impact on how we evaluate... Because the metrics of evaluating fullbacks have completely changed, right? And that position has completely changed. So to me, I think um, that requires other players also stepping up. And when I'm going to look at what United need more from in terms of goals, I'm looking at that midfield. I I know what you're saying about the midfield, but I think Bruno would benefit from a couple of games dropped. I think we've seen we've seen Shaw come back into it and be almost a different player to what we've seen before. I think Bruno at the moment, he's, he's finding it tough. We've seen the best of Bruno. Bruno, we've also seen the worst at the moment. Mm. Um, I think he would benefit from a few games out of the team. And, and again, where, who do you replace him with? Do you play Ericsson in that position? In my opinion, probably. You play Ericsson in that Bruno role. And then yeah, he had, had three weeks off, mate. I mean, the, no, I know, three, really week, what, three what weeks would... off. Three weeks off, fine. But then you're walking back into a team when you're still. Well, why, why, I mean, barely. honest question: Why do you think? Leaving. Why do you? Why do you like? If you go back to what we were saying earlier about Wenger, right? You need to need two creative midfielders, and you need to have no one that's in the caliber of a Fernandez or an Eriksson that's capable of coming and taking that role and saying, "Bruno, sit there for a while." That you would trust, in my opinion. You know, Ekbal. You know, 
you can't judge a player on preseason, mate. Right? The con yeah. the, 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 the difference is massive. Right? Good young player, um, but they him Garnacho, those players need loans. Palestri needs a loan. They're wasting their time sitting on the bench. I'm a bit surprised Garnacho hasn't got more game time because I thought he had a really good preseason, and he's excited me when he's played. Um, I so I'm a bit surprised that he hasn't played more, especially when Alango was getting game time at the beginning of the season. So, um, and either he's good enough to play, and if he's not, you loan him out. You know, um, obviously Granacho has a contract situation; his contract's up at the end of the season, so you know, didn't want to get that tied down. But um, yeah, I'm a bit surprised he hasn't played more, to be honest. But um, anything else before we do Spurs predictions? Mm, nothing else that we need to touch on. I think mostly it was all around the Glazers and we covered most of that. I know someone there said Donny van der Beek, I think that's hilarious. Nice, well. isn't it? Yeah. Just We're going to have promos on these beautiful shirts soon, folks. So keep an eye out on it. Um, finest gear. Uh, so uh, we'll get these on the we'll get these on the internet very shortly uh, for people who want to purchase them. Um, we've got hats and everything else so looking forward to getting these out big massive thank you to sb sports don't carry a trip here hmm. uh, uh sb sports for their support of btp support of the show and uh support of our also mental health uh, partner um we really really appreciate that and of course west well-being um of our, our mental health partner means so much to us too so uh the the, the financial uh, any money made from these shirts hats what have you will 100 percent go to our mental health partner um so uh mate uh predictions for spurs i think we'll win 2-1 i think we'll be 1-0 down at half time come back into the game win 2-1 just have a feeling we're going to start poorly if United win that game, it'll be a fantastic three points. Big, big, big two games. Someone said Chelsea are playing shit. I don't know. They look like they're doing all right to me on their green pattern. Um, but uh, we shall see. All right, leave it there, folks. Thanks to all of you for all the downloads. If you're on YouTube, please, please, please uh, subscribe to Beyond the Pitch on there. Uh, get all our podcasts free. You get all of our content free. If you are on iTunes or any major podcast supplier, please subscribe. We're, we also have a Facebook page and all that there. If you could subscribe to that, that's what keeps this podcast free. That support allows us to bring this content free. And without you, without subscribers, we aren't here. So thanks to you for all the love. Thanks for all the follows. Thanks for everything else. I hope your mental health is good. And uh, take it easy, folks. Thanks, mate. Thanks, mate.